America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. Much hay has been made over the geological turmoil that hibernates beneath the surface in Yellowstone National Park. The Yellowstone supervolcano snores through the geysers and mud pots and restlessly tumbles as multiple earthquakes hit the region every day. That was news to me. We don't hear a lot about Yellowstone earthquakes, but each year one to 3,000 hit the park and surrounding area. There were 15 on March 28th alone. Most can't even be felt, just a needle moving on a seismograph. But there have already been four this year in the lower 3.0 magnitude range, enough to shake pots and pans on the wall. And a 4.4 hit to the west of Yellowstone just a couple of days before this recording, right near the center of the biggest Yellowstone earthquake in recent history, a 7.5, which is the subject of today's episode. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, the night the mountain fell, the story of the Montana Yellowstone earthquake of 1959, as told in the book with the same name by Edmund Christofferson. Here's Abigail Trebu. August is a busy month in the exciting mountain vacation area that centers in West Yellowstone, Montana, and includes Yellowstone National Park, the restored ghost town of Virginia City, the nationally famous trout fishing reach of Madison Canyon that runs through the Gallatin National Forest, plus dude ranches and lakes in the parts of Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, where the three states come together. Geologically, it's a new area, where enormous forces are still thrusting up mountains, where volcanic craters still exist, and where the heat of the earth still spouts its imprisoned fury through the geysers that have made Yellowstone Park's firehole basin famous. At 11.37 p.m. on Monday, August 17, 1959, one of the severest earthquakes recorded shook this area. It sent gigantic tidal waves surging down the seven-mile length of Hebgen Lake, throwing an enormous quantity of water over the top of the Hebgen Dam, the way you can slosh water out of a dishpan still keeping it upright. This water described as a wall 20 feet high, swept down the narrow Madison Canyon full of campers and vacationers who were staying in dude ranches and at three Forest Service campgrounds along the seven-mile stretch from the dam to the point where the canyon opened up into rolling wheat and grazing land. 
Just about the time this surge of water reached the mouth of the canyon, half of a 7,600-foot-high mountain came crashing down into the valley and cascaded like water up the opposite canyon wall, hurtling house-size quartzite and dolomite boulders onto the lower portion of Rock Creek Campground. This slide dammed the river and forced the surging waters carrying trees, mud, and debris back into the campground. The campers who'd escaped being crushed under part of the 80 million tons of rock found themselves picked up and thrown against trees, cars, trailers, or the side of the canyon. Heavy, 4,000-pound cars were tossed 40 feet and smashed against trees by the force of the ricocheting water and the near-hurricane-velocity wind created by the mountain fall. Other cars were scrunched to suitcase thickness and thrown out from under the slide. And the water stayed. Held by the earthquake, it caused a natural dam. It began to flood the lower end of the canyon. At the upper end, big sections of the road that would take the 300 people trapped in the canyon to safety crumbled and fell into Hebgen Lake, cutting them off from the world outside. When the quake hit, summer alternate rangers Fred Tim and Lamont Herbold were on duty at the West Yellowstone entrance of Yellowstone National Park. They had just cleared a semi-load of Prestu logs. As the truck pulled on through the gate, the plywood gatehouse shook so violently with the lights flashing off and on that Herbold shouted, Stop the truck! You, you've hooked the shack! Truck drivers Jack and Lyle Tuttle thought the frantic way their truck was flopping around meant the motor had broken loose from the mounts. Driving into the park, they were halted by huge rocks blocking the road. Renewed shaking, with tons more rocks falling down the mountainside, sent them scurrying for cover behind trees. Lyle took refuge in a tree, where he later said the shaking seemed twice as rough. When the quaking stopped briefly, they turned the truck around and were happy to get out before more boulders blocked their exit. In the confusion that followed when the first shock hit, Jerry Yetter, who operates the Duck Creek cabins near West Yellowstone, jumped out of bed and knocked on all the cabin doors to warn the occupants of the quake. Only after he'd finished the job did he realize that he was wearing no clothes at all. His wife Iris ran out onto the front porch. The porch dropped into the basement. She climbed out got into the car, and didn't stop until she reached Bozeman, 90 miles to the north. Just west of Duck Creek Junction on Highways 1 and 191, the first shocks wakened Roland Whitman as it sent dishes and furniture crashing to the floor. 
when he couldn't reach his wife's folks in West Yellowstone, 10 miles south by phone, he rushed his wife Margaret and their six children into the car, started out, and immediately crashed over a 13-foot drop-off scarp that the quake had jutted up between his home and the highway. On the night of the quake, Mrs. Grace Miller, a widow who, in her 70s, is still sprightly enough to run, single-handed, the Hillguard Fishing Lodge cabin and boat rentals on the north shore of Hebgen Lake, found herself suddenly wakened about midnight. She didn't know what was happening, but she felt she had to get out of the house. She threw a blanket around herself, the door was jammed, and she had to kick it to get it open. Outside the door, she saw a big five-foot crevice. As she leapt across it, the house dropped from under her into the lake. More crevices kept opening in the moonlit ground as she walked away from the lake. Rabbits were skedaddling in every which direction, she said. After quite a spell of hiking in the nightmare-like night, she found refuge along with about 40 other people at Kirkwood Ranch, which itself was considerably damaged, but a safe distance from the lake. She was safe there while next day skin divers, alerted by worried friends, searched her floating house for her body. Later next day, she boated past her nine-room home, which contained everything she owned, floating on the lake. I hope it stays upright, she said. My teeth are still sitting on the kitchen counter right next to the sink. In a forest fire lookout on top of 10,300-foot-high Mount Holmes in Yellowstone Park, the first shock threw Penn State College student David Bittner out of his bunk. By golly, they'll believe me this time, he said with satisfaction as he picked himself up off the floor. Several days earlier, he'd phoned a report of substantial tremors. But no one would take his report seriously. Charles Godkin, chef at the Frontier, and his wife Ruth, a waitress, were driving home at 11.37. We must have a flat, she said as the car thumped and shook along the road. When Godkin got out to look, the ground was bucking so strenuously that he could hardly stand up. Back at the Frontier, he found steak plates all over the floor. In the establishment's walk-in freezer, he found the floor covered with mayonnaise, a foot deep. At the Emmett J. Culligan place dubbed the Blarney Stone Ranch, the Santa Barbara water softener tycoon spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a refuge from the possibility of atomic attack. Ironically, the main fault of the earthquake rammed through one end of his building's cement block foundation, raising the ground 15 feet, twisting and cracking the whole 150-foot length of the building. Ironically, too, Culligan's spread was perhaps the only one reputed to be covered by earthquake insurance. His caretaking family, John and Doris Russell, were trapped in their cottage and had to crawl out and pass their children 
through a chin-high, 15-inch square window. At the proud dude ranch Parade Rest, where Bud and Lou Morris capitalize on the area's superb fishing, the shock-toppled chimneys atop the massive log buildings and sent guests scurrying outdoors. Huddled around a huge campfire in the courtyard where it seemed safer, they felt bewildered and helpless as the ground continued to heave throughout the night. For hours, the shocks continued at the rate of one every minute. By morning, the kitchen was a shambles, like a cabin a grizzly bear had worked over. Dishes, flour, everything crashed to the floor. The only thing to do was to clean it up with a broom and shovel, Lou Morris said. Elsewhere throughout the earthquake area, crockery and goods and glass containers were at a premium. Drugstores, bars, groceries were shard-piled shambles. After the quake, the proprietor of the antique shop next to the West Yellowstone Post Office took one look at the disheartening spectacle of his shop and took off. The shop floor was strewn with a fortune in broken antique glass and dishware. The ground just got up and bucked like a horse, one Yellowstone citizen put it. The only man who was enthusiastic about the earthquake from the start was geologist Irving J. Whitkine of the U.S. Geological Survey, who was living in a trailer on a rise to the north of Hebgen Lake, above the Colligans and Parade Rest, while he surveyed and mapped the area. When the first shock hit, he figured his trailer had somehow broken loose and was rolling down the hill. He charged out intent on stopping it. From the way the trees were swaying in the absence of any wind, he knew it was a genuine earthquake. He hopped in his jeep and headed down toward the lake. He saw the scarp that the Whitman soared off just in time to stop. It's mine. It's mine, he shouted as he got out of the jeep and realized the full measure of his fortune. His words will echo wherever geologists gather in years to come. Professionally, his once-in-a-thousand-lifetimes fortune in being on the scene of a major quake meant as much as discovering an unfound pharaoh's tomb would be to an Egyptologist. At Mammoth, the old army post which is still headquarters for Yellowstone Park, Superintendent Lon Garrison was sitting up in bed reading when the quake hit. His wife and daughter were watching TV when the big chimneys and rocks from the massive old 1909-built masonry buildings began crashing through the porches and roofs. We got out and fast. We prided ourselves on being cool. It wasn't for an hour or so that I remembered that I was still wearing my Park Service uniform coat over pajama pants. Every time there was a new tremor, the coyotes, abundant thereabouts, would let out a fresh howl. The phone lines to Old Faithful and West Yellowstone weren't working. The quake had taken them out. 
the 18,000 people who were overnighting in the park when the quakes began were on the edge of panic. What can we do? How can we get word out? Can we get out? Everyone wanted answers to these questions at once. At Old Faithful, 800 people were in the recreation hall enjoying a college talent program. In the best entertainment tradition, the MC played it cool, continuing his patter while the park rangers opened the doors. Everyone exited in good order. But there was to be little comfort that night. Everyone who'd made it to bed got up after the first shock. At the massive log-built Old Faithful Inn, the timbers gave out loud and creaking and popping noises as the structural torment continued. We had to evacuate the building, Superintendent Garrison said. Hot water from a broken pipe in the attic was running down the floor of the east wing. Half an hour later, the fireplace and chimney crashed through the dining room floor, activating the sprinkler system. The water damage was horrible. A few hours earlier, with the dining room full, the casualty list would have been gruesome. As it was, our only casualty was a woman who sprained her ankle leaping out of bed after the first tremor. The quakes continued with a special violence at Old Faithful. Evacuees from the inn sat out the night wrapped in hotel blankets in their cars and in the big, distinctive Yellowstone Park Company buses, trembling with fear at each new quake. At the New Canyon Village, guests were reassured by the big-voiced man who, in the midst of the turmoil, marched up to the reservation desk and demanded accommodations for an additional two nights. Canyon 2 was the place where, they say, another guest left a note on his pillow for the chambermaid saying, An awfully rough bear stayed under my cabin last night. Had an awful time sleeping. Better tell the nightman to do something about it. As the shocks continued, the summons to Exodus was clear. Quake-broken roads blocked all the exits from West Yellowstone except the Route 191, through Idaho south to Pocatello. For the rest of the night, it was bright with the lights of cars streaming away from the Earthquake County to the solid security and comfort of the outside world. That's just chapter one of Christofferson's book, which goes on for a fascinating 12 more about the quake. It's free and publicly available. We'll provide a link to it in the show notes. At the end, he says that in the spring of 1959, the then superintendent of Yellowstone National Park looked at some bids for new housing in the park, which included extra steel as a protection against the possibility of earthquakes. Heck, he said, We're not in an earthquake area. The Yellowstone region is one of the most seismically active areas in the United States. But even though some quakes are caused by rising magma and hot groundwater, most are born from regional fault lines along the various mountain ranges in the area. The 1959 quake caused 11 million in damage, equivalent to 70 million today. 
and killed 28 people, most of them in the landslide that was triggered by the quake. Geologists believe large earthquakes are actually unlikely within the Yellowstone caldera itself, as the bedrock is already weak, meaning big movements are less frightening events. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by LLB. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLB.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.